so I just asked you about the four track show you had the other night. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? I think it went okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the concept was uh, for me to perform with tracks that I had recorded at home on a cassette four track recorder. So I made the percussion out of beating on boxes and using like tools and you know like a, a ratchet for my tool set and beating on uh, glasses and ceramic coffee cups and things like that and uh, I played a bass part to sort of give it some bottom end but it was I had to practice a fair amount it's hard to to stay in time with the music I didn't use a click track next time I do do these I will uh, something that's a little more solid of a foundation to follow so if you if you get lost it's not like you know when you're with the band and you get lost in the song and everybody sort of makes eye contact and you realize okay this guy just fell off the deep end let's let's catch him and then we'll pick back up if you get lost the music's gonna, it's gonna keep leave going. you behind yeah yeah so that didn't happen and that's what i was shooting for so i was pleased yeah so i mean was that a weird change obviously it's what you were shooting for so you knew what to expect going into a live show was that the first time you've done that live it's the first time I've ever done it. Well, how'd it go? I mean, how did that make you feel? I mean, you just came off of playing, you know, fairly recently with the Dexatines. I don't know if you played any more recently with other other acts uh, with band members on stage with you, but mm-hmm. is it a? It's, it has to be a pretty different feeling. Yeah, it was different. It was different, and the sound guy, I'm not saying it was his fault that he wasn't <laughs> accommodating. I think it, he may have had some limitations, but it wasn't loud, and uh, I like it loud. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted the audience to hear it loud also. Yeah. That's what I'm used to. That's what sort of inspired me to do this is like I've done some things at uh, the Bama Theater or wherever with an acoustic guitar and I usually have a total meltdown because I I get real self-conscious about a number of things and and but I'm I'm quite confident with the band or with some sort of organized chaos like I'm good in in that element, you know. So I thought I would try to sort of uh synthetically create the chaos, you know. And um, that's, that's why I ended up doing it, because I felt like I'm not really being myself when I sat up there with an acoustic guitar. So this was just an experiment, you know, and uh, I think I'll do it. I'd like to do it again, but I may do it, approach it a little bit differently. You mentioned the sound guy. Like, I always hear a lot of bands and musicians, that, not all the time, but it seems like when you talk about a live show, how it went, occasionally there will be a little comment about the sound guy. Couldn't get it right. Yeah, we butted heads, had a disagreement about how to how to do things. Does right. that happen very often for you? I mean, do you happens. have to build a you have to build a pretty good relationship with sound guys. Yeah, there. I mean, there always should be a, a certain amount of give and take in any working relationship, obviously. Right. And but um, sound guys are used to, I think, a, a lot of arrogant band members, and I think band members are used to a lot of sound guys that are just crotchety they're tired of being talked nasty to and they've just sort of the, a lot of times the sound guys just sort of come into it with a bad attitude so you sort of have to you sort of learn how to manage that or whatever and i think it's especially hard for uh, a band like the Dexteens because we like to turn our amps up just about as loud as we can get them um, and still be able to hear ourselves and so we, we've had sound guys travel with us in the past and that really helps to but that's not something you can always afford but, um, yeah, that's like a real challenge for the sound guys when you've got a real loud band up there. So any time that we've ever aggravated a sound guy, there was probably warrant for him to be aggravated with us. But, um, it, it's yeah, that's part of having a good show is not making the sound guy mad, definitely. Yeah, but you've probably reached a point now where most of the sound guys, especially around Tuscaloosa and Alabama, they know who you are. You're Elliot from the Dexatines. 
they know who the Dexatines are, and they probably know by now you guys are veterans and you know how you like to sound. Mm-hmm. It seems like you could avoid more than anybody butting heads with a sound guy at this point. Typically, the sound guy is responsible for making sure that everybody hears the vocals and the lyrics. That's what most bands want. And But like I always tell the sound guy, if the volume of the vocals has to suffer in comparison to the sound of the guitars, so be it. We want the guitars in the mains. We want to blow people away with the sound of the guitars. And, um, you know, the vocals are important, too, but I don't expect that people are able to sit at the deck. No matter how loud we get the vocals in the mix, I don't think people are going to sit at a Dexteen show and absorb the lyrical content. You know, they're there for the rock. So that's, that's what I always tell them. Just make sure you get the guitars in the mains and do what you can with the vocals. So you get to a place like Egan's, for instance, where they don't have the kind of sound equipment or PA equipment where you can hear everything in the most mm-hmm. pristine possible way, right, where it seems like every time the instruments are going to drown out the vocals. Yeah. Does that ever bug you? Or do you, like you said, you just don't really mind. You don't really That's care. Just so fine. long as it's loud. Yeah. Egan's is more like a house party anyway. Right. And that is the, the beginnings and the, the birth of our band was that sort of environment. And that's, Definitely. That's a wonderful atmosphere for a band like the Dexatines or any any band I think that calls themselves a rock and roll band was probably going to tell you, you know, a real rock and roll band. They're probably going to tell you that they would rather be on the floor with the audience, with the audience totally spilling into where they are. Real, you know, shoestring budget kind of thing is fine. You know, it's just all about the, the moment and the, the attitude and the, the, uh, the, the energy in the room. And um, so you can do that with the PA on a stick. You know, you don't have to have a sound guy or whatever. And that's what's so great about Egan's. And, and we, we really like playing there. Like, I, I imagine that we would always be excited to go back to play Egan's for that very reason. So with the four tracks, are you going to keep doing that for a while? Are you going to tour like, with that? I've got a solo record coming out. And so I'd like to support that somehow. But I don't have any uh, plans to go on tour, so to speak. If we did any touring, it would be with the deck scenes. But uh, I would like to to do some more of those for sure. And uh, I just saw that the Dexatines are playing the Zydeco soon. Yeah, we're doing some sort of crawfish thing. I don't know exactly what the... When was the last time you guys played? Man, I guess the last time we played was at the... um, The Get Up? I think so. Wow. And so, I mean, what does it take to bring you guys out? Because, I mean, at one point it felt like the Dexatines were no more, and it seemed like for a while you guys might play the occasional show Mm -hmm. under the right circumstances. Right. But what does it take to get you guys back out there? For it, a show. To, to just to be perfectly honest, it takes either the right the right cause in which we would play for free, or it takes the right amount of money. Mm-hmm. And we've done, you know, it sounds terrible, and I'm sure people would shun me for saying that, but I'm 36 years old, mm-hmm. and I've totally done things DIY, punk rock, and I've done lots of shows for free. I've done lots of shows that end up costing us money. I mean... I don't think there's anything wrong with that. At this point, you know, everybody in the Dex teams at this point, we've got a bunch of kids amongst all of us. We have responsibilities. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, making some certain guidelines. We can't be running up and down the interstates acting like teenagers, you know, anymore. We need to make sure that we're being responsible leaders of our family. Yeah. It must be hard, too, even to come from Tuscaloosa or even Birmingham to reach a point where you're actively making money as a musician. You know, you're supporting yourself even yeah. as a musician mm-hmm. in Tuscaloosa or Birmingham. So when you reach a point like the Dexatines have where you guys would be in demand to play a show like that or the get-up or something, are you at a point now where you can name a price? No. I mean, the truth is we do, we can do pretty good in most big cities on the down south especially and on the, you know, the east coast. 
you know, Thursday through Saturday. You know, Monday through Wednesday, it's going to be tough no matter. You know, we're not going to do good in Indianapolis on Monday night. We're going to have two people there that know who we are. It's going to be a struggle, mm -hmm. you know. So we're not. We can't name a price, but we can still do things on our own terms. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's it's not necessarily about making money for us. It's just about making sense. Mm -hmm. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so if you, if you want to do that for a living, then you it requires to stay gone right you know most of the year and that's tough on yeah. on family guys like you at this point yeah yeah you know i've done an article on you recently mm -hmm. and the crux of it was that you wanted to spend more time with your family and you were enjoying spending more time with your family when you guys weren't really touring now that you've had more time to do that when you haven't been out on the road as much are you pretty content with it or yeah. do you miss the road at all i, I do miss it but i i've not that much. I mean, I made. I feel like we definitely made the right decision, and it was. Um, it benefited all of us in different ways. It, it was the right time, and uh, and I would also say that we were sort of. Or me, I was guilty of wanting something for the wrong reasons. You know, I wanted to provide a living for my family, making music. But sometimes you can't. You can't be too particular about the ways in which you provide for your family. You provide for them in the ways that are available. You know. And so I was trying to sort of force something into play. And I wasn't really giving – I still wasn't giving it 100%. You know, I was saying that I wanted to make a living making music, but I still didn't stay gone. And I knew that's what it was required. I stay gone a lot of the time, but not, not really as much as was needed. So I wasn't really doing either justice. You know, I wasn't committing 100% to my family. I wasn't committing 100% to the band. It, both sides were sort of getting the getting short end of the stick. So um, – us taking some time away from it, what that allowed was for, for Lee to sort of sow his musical oats. He made an awesome record. It's amazing, and he's touring all the time with it. And now Matt is, you know, um, a contributing member of the Drive-By Truckers on some level. I don't know if he's officially a member, but he's out with them all the time. In the meantime, it allowed us time to write a whole bunch of songs, and we recorded a ton of songs. We recorded, like, some of them are duplicates, but we recorded, like, 35, 40 songs over the past three years since we laid that down so it, it was good you know all that wouldn't happen and um yeah, brian's had a baby that's a huge deal you know what i mean so um those are all sort of life-changing things that if the deck scenes were still sort of trodden along like we were i don't know that all that would have taken place well let's go back a little bit and talk a little bit of how you sort of got started just tell me real fast where were you born and when were you born uh montgomery Alabama, 1976. When did you make it out of Montgomery? Did you, did you grow up there, or did you go to school there? I graduated from Robert E. Lee High School and came up here in 94. In Robert E. Lee, were you playing music there? Is that where you first started? Is that where you first picked up a guitar? I had a Peter, Paul, and Mary songbook uh -huh. uh, that belonged to my dad, and I messed around with the guitar. I didn't get my first proper electric guitar until I got in college. I really wasn't allowed to listen to... Um, rock and roll music when I was at home. Like, I was able to listen to my dad's rock and roll music. Like, he, I had a collection of his 45s, like, and I still have those records. They're, they're great singles, like Elvis and Roy Orbison and Carl Perkins and stuff like that. Um, so I was allowed to listen to that stuff, but Motley Crue and the stuff that I really wanted to listen to, I was Why? not able to Why? Hear. I think my parents probably felt threatened by it. Like, I think they really bought into the whole uh, rock and roll is from the devil end of things. 
even though your dad was a fan of Elvis and Roy Orbison, yeah. which was this one stage of rock and roll when people thought that those same things about them at one point. Yeah, well, those guys had a certain sexual swagger about uh-huh. them, but they weren't, you know... Dangerous. They weren't putting makeup on and right. spitting fire like Kiss. Well, you so were you, were you listening to that anyway? Did you go somewhere else to listen to that while you were in high school? Well, when I was in high school, I, I figured out some ways to, to listen to this. Like, I discovered the Pixies in high school, and that was that's still one of my favorite bands. Uh, when I was younger, I always tell people that, uh, that Michael Jackson album, Thriller, was like, that, that album changed my life. <laughs> But that was absolutely that I remember one Christmas that was the only thing I wanted. It was I guess it was eighty two. And uh that's all I wanted. And I remember my dad telling me before we opened gifts, he broke my heart. He said, If you think you got that Michael Jackson album, <laughs> oh, man. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now you didn't get it. That's brutal. But what I did do was I made a cassette copy at one of my buddies' house and I listened to it on headphones until I got busted for it. And so And what they do when you got busted? I don't remember. Just take it away, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't remember, but that album is still incredible, I think, <laughs> and uh, that's actually this this uh, this solo project that I'm working up is kind of loosely inspired by that that Michael Jackson album. My, my this first one that I did was sort of inspired by the Kiss album uh, Destroyer. Uh-huh. It's called Destroy Me. Uh-huh. Okay, and so I sort of take one little thing from each song that I think is sort of cool, whether it's the title or a lyric or a little hook or whatever. They're not cover songs, you know, but I'm just grabbing one thing from each song and sort of letting that culminate into some sort of musical piece. And they're real ragged and lo-fi, you know, real quickly done. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the follow-up is going to be the Michael Jackson thriller sort of uh, take on that, which will be called Thrill Me. Well, you got to help help me out a little bit because, I mean, when I think of what you do, I don't – immediately associated with Michael Jackson's thriller. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure that anything can inspire anybody mm-hmm. and it can cross genres and you might not hear it, but it's there. But yeah. I mean, in what way specifically did it influence what you're doing now? Well, I was just a young, I was, I guess I was, oh, I mean, I don't know how old I was. I used to have to sit here and do a little simple math, uh-huh. but I was just a very impressionable young kid. And, uh, I just remember how hot, how the drums sounded in, in the organ and Billie Jean, and I just remember that was just like, oh my gosh, you know, that's amazing. And that was also the same time that music videos first became a, you know, an item. And I remember seeing him on TV and the, the greasy G curl and, the, you know, everything about him just seemed, you know, kind of magical. So I think I also remember like in a, a trip to Epcot as a child, like seeing him play some sort of sci-fi character. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I was really into Michael Jackson as a child, like like most people right. my age probably were. Right. I don't think that his work has really influenced my work. I think that the the early work that I the early music that I really liked when I got to college was things like the Ramones, and that's really what shaped me as a um, a songwriter. My first band sounded. I wanted us to sound just like the Ramones. We didn't. What was the band called? We were called the Phoebes. Uh huh. And. Uh, where it was the band was named after uh, Phoebe Cates, the actress from uh-huh. last times at Richmond High. <laughs> sure, oh yeah. And um, my friend Ben started that band. And he asked me to be in it with him. I said, yeah. When was like this? To. Um, this would have been in like ninety. So this is five, so this is college. Yeah. And you're you at UA at this point, or where are yeah, you going? Yeah, I'm at UA. I'm eighteen years old or okay. something. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll go back real quick, um, and we'll we'll come back to that. But you said you had the Peter Paul and Mary songbook. You were playing a little bit of guitar. A little acoustic, I guess. Yeah. And so, but no electric. And so you played acoustic. And then when you were listening to all this music, when you were, you know, hiding 
certain rock from your parents and you're listening to Thriller. Was that at a period where you were trying to play music too? Is that what influenced you to play music or is that something you just totally picked up in college? Yeah, that was just later. I didn't try to play music when I was a kid. Well, I, I had been sent to play piano when I was learning uh-huh. Sonata in G or whatever. Classically that trained? I guess. Uh-huh. I never practiced. I just went to the lessons once a week and did the recital <laughs> once a year. You know, but right. um, when I came to college, like I saw a world I'd never seen before. Like I remember, we snuck into this bar called the Chucker, and I walked in, and there was a surf band playing, and I was familiar with surf music because one of the records I had that belonged to my dad was a Ventures album, and uh, and I'd recognize some of the songs they were playing. It's a band called the Penetrators. Oh, I'm a huge Penetrators fan. And uh, and they were also wearing the gold LeMay jackets, yep. which is something I was familiar with from Elvis. <laughs> and uh, and everybody in that play, like I walked in that place, and I knew I was in like this. This is my place. There's no polo shirts and you know, uh, Patagonia's, you right. know, like this is something, this is what a rock and roll club is, you know. And right around that time, I, it was when my friend Ben turned me on to the Ramones and that's when I found out about, you know, garage rock and stuff like that. And, and it was just, it just changed my life, you know, like I just, I, I really, really got excited about music at that point. I always loved music, but when I came to Tuscaloosa and there was Vinyl Solution and, you know, that was just a, just a wealth of real cool stuff to get excited about like i mean what teenager is not going to get excited about iggy and the stooges you know Mm -hmm. so that was just sort of it you know like i I arrived at tuscaloosa in a a, at a great time were were the phoebes was that your first band yeah Mm -hmm. and what what exactly did you guys play was it like a punk band straight yeah it was just three chords yeah how many members four yeah how long did that last a couple years yeah, how'd y'all do? Did y'all play the Chucker and y'all play other places in town? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we played. Um, Jeb was the drummer, and he also played bass at some point. Okay, Jeb was John Smith's brother, and John Smith was in, in the Dexteens. Mm-hmm. Jeb and I lived in a house together. Jeb moved out. John moved in. Jeb went to start a, a real life after he graduated <laughs> high school. And John and I, or I'm sorry, after he graduated college, and John and I, Sort of dove into the Dexteens. So that's when the Dexteens were born. After y'all stopped the Phoebes. Yeah, they sort of crossed sort of over, cross faded into each other. Okay. Yeah. At what point did you guys decide? Okay, this is what we're going to do and get serious about it. And when did it start becoming what it became? We may have had a few alcohol fueled conversations where we said we're going to take this thing real seriously. But I think the the truth of what it's always been is. Um, something more like this okay let's um let's put this seven inch out or let's do this recording and then let's get on to the next thing you know this the next things always seemed like a band like we were sort of destined to just be a short-lived thing at first even up to 2009 when we sort of made this unofficial announcement that we were sort of not going to be playing very much if at all it was still the same thing it was like this has got to end at some point it's never been some sort of thing. I mean, we did go through little spurts, maybe when a record's coming out. Okay, let's have a game plan on how we can sort of push this thing to the next level. But it's always sort of felt like this thing that had needed an end. And I feel like now that I'm older and wiser, I realize it's such a part of me and such a part of, like, everybody else that's a member of the band at this point that I'll probably be doing it till I'm too old to do it. I always said I wouldn't want to be mocked for being too old up there to do it, but I don't care now. I want to do it. Like, I really love doing it. Playing in the Dexteens is, is part of what I was born to do, you know. So I'm just going to do it and not worry about it. 
Did you get into music, though, because you loved music, you had to play music at, at a certain point, this is just what you were born to do and wanted to do? Or were there any other reasons why you might have started to play music? I mean, was it a social thing, you know, get girls? W- was there anything like that that factored into it, or was it all about the music for you? It was just fun. Yeah. That's the thing about the Ramones that I love, is that it was, that's fun music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the MC5, they were making a political statement. I love the MC5. But that's not really the right, you know, the rock and roll is, can, it can be about that, but it's way more fun if it's just about being with your friends mm-hmm. and having a party. And that's what it was for me. It, and it, it gave me, a, a, it, did, it did give me a group of friends and a sense of identity or whatever. Like I'd be lying to say that's not the case because mm-hmm. I think most people that play in bands, they do sort of get wrapped up in that a little bit. But I think the main reason why is just because it's a lot of fun, you know? Well, okay, so... After you guys had formed and started, you know, writing music, releasing music, and playing the bars around town, when did the Dexas Teens start to gain a little popularity to where you guys were in demand and were starting to play out of town a little bit more? And Tuscaloosa was a base, but not necessarily a consistent home. Yeah. I guess after 2005, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, even markets like Birmingham are really hard to tap into. Mm -hmm. Like, we we went to Birmingham – we played the Nick. I swear we played it 20 times before we p- packed it out. It's just the nature of the beast, you know. It's just a, it's a gradual thing to, to get to where you do good in a certain town. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's not, that's not true for every band, but that was true for us. So take me through, like, once you guys, I guess in 2005, or even a little bit before that, when you, when, when you were starting to gain popularity and people were starting to know who you were and come to your shows and that kind of thing, what a night was like, you know. I'm just kind of curious for a musician like you – or, you know, someone in your band. I mean, it, it's a hard, it, it, it's fun, but it can also be really difficult, too, to be a musician and have to, like, you know, play the bar scene, stay up super late, sleep in cars, stay on the road, you know. Does that kind of life still appeal to you or did it back then? Did you consider that fun back then? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, there's something to be said about getting a group of guys together. And it, it's it's important also. Because we've had the Dex teens at a point when everybody wasn't getting along and there was members that were off doing their own thing, whatever that might have been, if it was like a, something in their own mind or some sort of habitual thing or whatever. But once you can get everybody on the right page and everybody's like truly we love you no matter what kind of thing, once, it's, once it turns into that, there's a certain really neat thing that happens when you got a bunch of dudes riding around in a van, stinking, <laughs> malnourished, tired, I mean, like, it sounds terrible, and it is terrible, but there's something about it kind of great, too. Playing for gas money, right? Yeah, there's plenty of that. I mean, it's, it's a mental challenge, you know. But again, you know, those are the – I mean, like, we never got away from that still. I mean, like, like they, 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 those are the kind of things that make you feel like a fool when your family is at home waiting on you to come back. So we've eliminated that, you know, as much as possible. When you're forming the band, like the Dexatines, how many members did you start out with? Well, we've always had three guitars. Right. There was a spell where we had two. Okay, so it's usually been five people? Five. So how do you get five people to commit to a band like that in college and then beyond college? How do you get five people to say, okay, I'm going to do this? And I know you've had people go in and out of the band. Yeah. And a few of you have been consistent, right, or stayed constant Mm -hmm. there. But, yeah, I mean, what does it take to say, okay, we're going to actually do this, and if we're going to do it, let's do it? You know, because so many bands in Tuscaloosa, for instance, at UA, they just come and go, and they yeah. don't remain. They they don't have that constant, and they just break up just because that's the way the cycle goes. Yeah, there's there's somebody pulling it along. Like it, 
Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it was for a long time, Sweet Dog was the guy pulling everybody along. For a while in our band, it was Lee, and it's not Lee right now. Lee's doing his thing, and that's cool. If we do any shows, we're going to be pulling Lee along right now. There's always somebody pulling it along, you know. The leadership in our band is always changing, and always changes for the right reasons, you know. It's, it's just that kind of thing. Like, I've never been the guy that's sort of corralled everybody all together. I have at times. People associate you with that, though, right? Because you're the singer and you're the guitarist. You know, yeah. You're the front man, essentially, by definition, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had to be pulled along uh-huh. a lot. Matt Patton is certainly somebody that's pulled the band along in years recent. Because you've had doubts about how things are going? Well, it just seems, I don't know, man. In this world, as rough as it is right now, it just seems like it's foolish sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just because it's it's. I mean, even to play one show requires a lot of work and preparation and people changing their plan. I mean, it's, you're not just your plan. You're not single. You know, you got other people, babysitters or whatever, birthday parties. Who knows what's going on? I mean, so it's 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 just sometimes it just seems kind of foolish. Is all I guess I know to say. Well, what, but what doesn't seem foolish to me is to be creative. I'm not trying to like. I think that's something that. Any, any, even if somebody doesn't have a platform to go and play live and they want to be creative, that's something they should do. They're, that's never foolish. But um, to go out and be in a bar till 2 or 3 in the morning and perform your songs for people, that's debatable. Yeah. Well, when did you meet your wife? I met her in 99. Okay. And we so, got married in 2000. So when did the Dexatines get started? What year exactly? 98. So after you were in the Dexatines and that had started, y'all met mm-hmm. and started dating? I yep. guess got married the next year. Yeah. So did she? Was it one of those things where she was at every show, uh, no. supporting you guys, or I mean, was she hanging out at home while you played late nights, or how did that work? Well, she has been to a lot of shows. She doesn't like being in Egan's. I don't blame her. It's just you know it's so tight. It's yeah. Hot. Yeah. Smoky. That's not gonna be her kind of place. Well, that's normal. She's done a lot of supporting on the back end, like mm-hmm. keeping up with the books, mm-hmm. making sure everybody knows what they're getting paid. She's, in a lot of ways, she's managed the logistical affairs, mm-hmm. I guess would be the best way to say it. And still does. She does, takes care of doing the taxes on down the line. So, she she is a powerhouse rock and roll wife, but she does it in a real classy way. Like, you don't see her, you know, getting up in the middle of things. And she's definitely not going to be standing up near the stage when we're performing. She's going to do it in a, a different way. That seems really, like, that, that's an interesting concept for me to grasp onto, you know, having, having never played a show. But, you know, you have this idea of what the, you know, a musician, especially a rock musician, uh, how, how they might behave while in college, you know, while on the road or that kind of thing. But I know, you, you know, you've always had a strong relationship. You know, you have a family. You're a family man. Did you contrast with your fellow bandmates in terms of, like, how you lived your life on the road and then away from the band? Or, I mean, did she come on the road with you uh, much? Or how did that work exactly? She's met us out Yeah, when we would get close to getting uh-huh. back down south. Yeah, I mean, everybody in the Dexa team, we've had our moments. Don't get me wrong. Right. We've had our moments that I'm ashamed of. But I think that we do pretty good keeping each other in check. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, one of us will sort of do something that embarrasses us all or whatever, or somebody will wander off. I mean, that kind of stuff happens, especially now that we're getting older. I'm proud to say that those nights are few and far between. Well, what do you mean, like, when you say that we've had moments that you're ashamed of? Just give me any – you don't have to go into many, like, specifically, but give me an example of what you might be talking about. Uh, just somebody getting loud, getting loud and obnoxious, or somebody not saying thank you for fixing us a meal. Or somebody saying, hey, I'm a vegetarian. Where's my vegetarian meal? Or, you know, those sorts of things. Right. But, I mean, you know, like, 
it's 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 easy to behave yourself when you're at home. It's ha- it's hard when you're out when you're out and you're you're tired and you're away from home. It's harder to walk the line, you know. So were there bandmates who like wanted to go harder when you were out on the road and you're like just guys, look, I you know I'm ready to go to bed. Uh, I mean, was it a thing where you can go hard like that too? I know that musicians are used to staying up late. Mm-hmm. And they're used to you know drinking, partying, that kind of thing. Was that ever what your lifestyle was like when the Dexatines, I guess, were at their peak? You just got to go to bed at some point. Right. You just got to go sleep in the van. I mean, that's that's kind of the way it usually works out. There's usually one guy, maybe two guys, that want to stay up wherever we are. The rest of us will go to the hotel if we have, if we're lucky enough to have one, or the van, or mm-hmm. whatever. This is no lie. Like since Lee has been in the band, you know, Lee is um, is sober, and he's a, a contributing member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that is part of the routine. We get to wherever we're playing. He's he knows where the meeting's at. Okay. He's gonna go. And so when you have somebody like that around, not necessarily out of courtesy to him does that change the environment, but his influence changes the environment. Does he keep, keep everybody else at bay kind of? Well, yeah. You rain, just, rain people in? Yeah, it just, it's, it, it, it's, it, for some reason you're able to see your own reflection a little better right. when you've got somebody like that. But, I mean, Lee is like, when he, when he sort of came into the band, I met Lee. Okay, Lee interviewed me. Um, he was doing. A, he was a writer for CMJ or something. Hmm. He interviewed me. And he was in New York City, and um, he tells me he's from Birmingham. And he says, "I'm thinking about moving someplace because I want to start a band. Where, where, and I want to go down south." He says, "Where should I go?" And I said, "Definitely Athens, Georgia." And uh, turns out we were playing in Athens in a couple of weeks. And I said, "Hey, meet me down there. We can shake hands, see each other, and um, and." Uh, you can see Athens or whatever. So he does. And the rest is history. I just got to know Lee. And, um, did he move down there? No, he did not. He ended up moving to Birmingham, which is where he's from originally. But I don't know. Lee sort of came into the band being a fan of the band first. And something about having him come in from that perspective in a lot of ways helped me realize what it is about our band that's special and unique and what it is about our band that's pretentious and fake. And it just sort of changed the whole vibe. It went from being like, at that point, before Lee came to the band, it kind of seemed like it was a dark time. Staying up late is the best, is the best way to put it. Okay. Not treating yourself the way that you know you should. I don't think any of us ever did anything that would shame our families. So, but anyway, once, once Lee was in the band, any darkness and problems that we were having, eventually those problems left whether it was people leaving the band or problems leaving the band or bad attitudes or whatever. Once Lee became a part of it, his attitude, like he's got a really healthy attitude. Like I remember him telling me, I asked him one time about this very thing that we're talking about. I said, "Um, does it kind of drive you crazy that you can't have a a drink or whatever and sort of relax? Because it was one of those times where I was like, gosh, this sucks. Let's go home or whatever. And he said, "Uh, those are the times when you really cherish your friends and the fact that we can we can all be together it sounds cheesy but it's the truth like that's that's advice that stuck with me it's like these this is a privilege to be out playing music these are good men that i'm with that is a blessing and so i think that lee sort of brought a real positive thing to the band i mean he brought a a youth to the band that was that may have been fading you know tell me a little bit about Lee is in the band, Sweet Dog was in the band. You get a new drummer, you get new members. When when you start getting new members, 
rotating them in and out. I mean, someone who's been there from the beginning, how do those changes to the dynamic of a band make you feel? I mean, as you see it sort of evolve from one thing to the next. Do you think the Dexatines now in any way resembles what it once was when you first started? Yeah, I do. I mean, any additions that we ever made to the band, if the additions stayed in the band, it's because it bettered the band. That's all there is to it. I would be very surprised if anybody that's in the band decided that they wanted to leave. I'd be very surprised if I asked anybody to leave. I could never have said that years ago. It just always sort of seemed like it was on the verge of just exploding for whatever reason. There's just a lot of arguments, stuff like that, you know. What kind of arguments? I mean, creative stuff? Yeah, like weird stuff. Like, it just depends on who you're talking to. But when you're tired and you're out, you look at somebody the wrong way, what they deem is the wrong way. Next thing you know, you're getting drumsticks thrown at you. You know, I mean, it's just like you just don't know. You just don't know. And uh, and some people some people handle turbulence different, differently. You know, some people keep things pent up inside them, and it eventually boils over in some sort of way that so I, I don't know. Does it reach a point where you, you feel a lot of pressure? Because, I mean, there are people writing stories about you, talking about you, you know, hailing the Dexatines as the best band in Tuscaloosa. Then it becomes... Are they the best band in Alabama? You know what I mean? Do y'all pay attention to that stuff at all, or do y'all just keep doing what you're doing? Does that any, add any sort of pressure when people maybe, I, I don't know like what your recording process was like, but when you're given an opportunity to record, does that add any pressure to you guys? How do you deal with that kind of pressure where people want the Dexatines right about you as being the best whatever it may I be? I don't really put any stock in any of that. No. What, what, what was interesting, I want to get to the, the Tuscaloosa Get Up show that you guys played. That was the last show you guys played for a while, right? Yet there were so many people out there, including me, who thought you guys sort of stole the show. And, I mean, people knew who you guys were, but obviously that was kind of when the Alabama Shakes were making their meteoric rise and everybody was talking about them. And that show seemed like another sort of like launching pad for them to where they're on this platform where people can finally watch them all at once and say, okay, well, this is why they're so great. But then you guys come in there and just tear it up. And you guys are who everybody's talking about at the end of the night and the next week. I was backstage during y'all's show, and the bassist of the Alabama Shakes, I had never met him or anything. I just had a conversation with him. And he was just kind of shaking his head watching you guys from backstage. And he said, it just doesn't seem right right now that Dexatines are playing before us at this show. I've been a fan of theirs forever, yeah. you know, and this just doesn't seem right. These guys are the headliners. How did that feel, the response that you guys got after that show in particular? And you hear, like, musicians like those guys are at a point where they are now. What does that feel like? Well, that was really neat, but it, that was just one of those rare moments where all the stars sort of lined up for mm-hmm. us, you know. Again, I mean, I'm not saying Tuscaloosa small potatoes, because it's not. It's like, that's the most important place, because that's home, right? But um, I think just now that I'm a little older. I've just learned not to really care. I mean, it does. It doesn't matter because it's at the end of the day. It's like people that define taste and opinion. They're just people, and most of them don't even play music. They're like bloggers that, for whatever reason, they've got some sort of clout, and people are interested in what Pitchfork has to say, mm-hmm. and or whatever the flavor of the day may be, or how good your beard looks, or what whatever it is. And um, I'm just real disenchanted with all that. Like I just want to write music. Like, I just, I really just want to write good music and do my best. I want my band members to like the songs a lot. I really want, because if they like them, they're going to do, they're going to contribute in special ways. They're going to perform well. And I want other people to like it, too. I, don't get me wrong. I really do want people to enjoy it. But I just 
really try my best not to take them into the equation. Not to really read about you guys. I mean, do you, you do you do you read articles about the Dexatines ever? I used to. I used to obsess over it. Mm-hmm. And the the truth is, I guess when the record comes out that we've done, I'll probably glance. But I'm not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's it's it doesn't matter. It really does not matter what who says what. I mean, is it a thing where so long as I'm enjoying it, and so long as my like you said, bandmates and other musicians give me feedback or you know enjoy it then you're fine yeah well i know it's fine because when we made the record everybody felt like it was important enough to hunker down and not let any anything not be to the pleasing of everybody in the band yeah if if it if it if they didn't think the material was worthy then we would just be getting on to the next song or whatever making the record that we just made was really one of the greatest things i think we've ever done as a band and really excited and proud of it i don't know what to do with it now that it's done necessarily and you know, we've got some possible ways that we may release it mm-hmm. but now that it's completed and done i feel like the the fun part's over one more thing about the get up show again you had this overwhelmingly positive response to that mm-hmm. at the show and beyond it it seemed like the consensus feeling was we're kind of sad to see these guys go. They're going out in a big way. You know, if this is, say, possibly their last show, one of the last times we'll see them live, it's a shame, but we had a great time. I mean, when you hear people say, well, we don't want you guys to go, we don't want you guys to quit playing, and obviously you're going to release something new here, and people are going to respond to that. But, I mean, when you hear that kind of response, does it make you think, well, people want us to stick around. Does it add any pressure to try to get the band to keep going? Or were you pretty content at that point to just do what you were going to do anyway? I don't really figure it in. I just really and truly, I just mainly listen to what everybody in my band says mm-hmm. and what my family is saying and stuff like that. I just, I mean, we'll play again, I'm certain of it, in Tuscaloosa. I never said we weren't going to play again. Right. I just said we were just going to change our schedule and not play Tuscaloosa three times a year, maybe play it once every two years or whatever, whatever we decide. Yeah, I just, I'm just, I've just realized I'm just way better off just not, not worrying about other people. You know, worry about personal relationships and stuff like that, but worrying about people in a general sense and what they think about the next things, who cares? So you're still enjoying it, though? You're still yeah. enjoying playing music? Yeah. Getting a lot out of it? Yeah. You're going to keep doing it? I'm definitely going to keep writing songs, and I think we'll definitely play a handful of shows every now and then. Anything coming up other than the Dexteen show? That's on, is that April 21st? Yeah. At the Zydeco, yeah. you're playing with Lee. He'll play as a Dexatine, and he'll play as with his group. That's right. Anything else coming up? We may do a run in July. Here? Well, I don't know. When you say run, do you mean like a show or like a, a run of shows? Oh, well, maybe like three. Okay. Like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or something like that. Around the state? Like, for instance, I don't know exactly, maybe Athens, Birmingham, Nashville kind of thing, mm-hmm. something like that. We're taking a Dexatine's family vacation this summer. We're renting a lake house. We're bringing all the kids, and so we're going to spend a week together, and that's how we're going to finance the, the vacation. So that tells you where we're at. It must be great to see like what has happened since you guys first started, right, yeah. to see what it's become. And you see all the, it's like a generational thing now where you have sets of kids running around. Did you ever think it would come to that when no. you were younger? No. No. <laughs> Sweet Dog used to always tell my children that he was going to get them to play in the band once I was done. <laughs> and he was still going to be back there playing drums. So it's kind of ironic. Yeah. But, no, I, I wouldn't expect something like that. Well, so he, yeah, remind me real quick, when did he leave the Dexatines? I don't remember. 2000 and I don't know. Was that a big change? Yeah, it was, but me and Sweet Dog are tight now. 
Yeah, it, it was a big change, but it had to happen. It was his time. Was it a point where you weren't as tight, I guess? Was that why he left? I mean, were there creative differences? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was – it was um, – it just wasn't working out. Mm. I don't know how to explain it without – he wasn't happy with me and I wasn't happy with him. It just happens sometimes. You know, sometimes things don't work out. So. But you guys have managed to work work things out, smooth things over, got a relationship. Yeah, it's just taken some time. Mm-hmm. Now I think he and I both look at those days fondly. Those are great times I had with him. Yeah, and he 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 sort of shaped me as a member of that band in a lot of ways. Like he, um, there was a time when I didn't want to play guitar. I just want to sing, <laughs> and uh, and I think there was a time when I didn't want to sing and I just wanted to play guitar. And it, you know, you go through all these sort of weird little head things and. He was always really good about sitting me down and saying, the things that you think are weird and awkward, they are weird and awkward, but that's why you should do them. And that's why you are who you are. That's why the band is who it is. He really had his finger on the flavor of our band and what we were doing. Like I was talking about earlier, it always required somebody to pull it along some way or another, whether it's who you knew or what kind of music, what the thing needed to be. So he, he contributed a lot to the band. To me personally, in ways that I'll never forget, and you know, like he, he's a great friend. I'm lucky to know him. Do you pay very close attention to local bands now in Tuscaloosa, for instance? And not really. It, only if they're close friends of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm sort of keep up with Yuri and what he's doing. That's really about it. I played a show with Yuri a couple uh-huh. times. But I mean, like as a as a spectator, you rarely ever go see I shows. I don't do that. No. Why is that? I just don't. I'll go see Lee. Mm-hmm. play I'll see Blaine Duncan maybe I really love Blaine and Lee and they're my friends I love their music I just the reason why is because when you spend so many nights in, in a bar it's just better just I don't know I just don't long for that mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah I just don't done your time yeah I mean if there was some place to go on Saturday afternoon to go see a band a local band and bring the family not being around a bunch of cigarette smoke okay I'll do that. That sounds like a blast. But that's not really what it, you know, it's not, that's not really the scene. Right. If you're going to go see somebody now, you've got to invest a few hours staying up late, you know, because they're going to get started maybe at 11 o'clock. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, on a Friday night, maybe midnight. Going into it, if you know, you don't, if you don't usually like to do it, like me, for instance, like I'll go see bands, but like if I go to a bar, it's because I'm going to see a band. You know, that's yeah. I'm not just going to go to a bar just to go to a bar and right. hang out. You know, right. I want to see a good band. But it's always a challenge because, yeah, it's like, okay, well, I've got to brace myself or pace myself to stay up late now and, yeah, and endure the cigarette smoke and come out of there smelling terrible mm-hmm. just so I can hear an hour or two of good music. Yeah. Is that how you look at it now? Where exactly. it's like it's, yeah, it's, 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 you have to endure it and it's kind of a, a trial. Yeah. For sure. I mean, if something I think if something's cool, it'll catch up to me eventually, and then I'll I'll enjoy it if it's meant to be enjoyed. Yeah. Well, you know, something we talked about before, and we'll sort of end on this, is about musicians who were trying to do what you were doing when you were in college, starting a band and trying to take it seriously. Do you ever sit back and watch them now and think, well, they're either doing it right or they're doing it wrong, and just sort of, I guess, laugh about it? when you're out at a show or something like that, do you ever reach out to anybody? Has anybody reached out to you about advice, you know, how to do things in Tuscaloosa or in Birmingham specifically? Well, I'll tell you what, that's really interesting. That People have asked me, you know what, I don't, I don't think people really, they, they may ask, but I don't think they really want to hear. 
like I just like I I've met some young bands and worked with some young bands, and I think that people, especially musicians, they just fancy themselves as like ironclad thinkers, and they've got the ideas and the plan, and and, and even myself, I think I'm probably that way. So yeah, I'm no band manager or whatever. I don't know the right path for a band. All I know is you just have to do your best. You have to be unique. You have to be creative. You don't need to play to a click track. You don't need to play crate amplifiers. I know some structured guidelines to stick by, but I certainly don't know all, you know, all the answers or whatever. I just know that when you're young and you're in a band, you make a lot of foolish mistakes. But that's the best time to be in a rock and roll band is when you're young. So it's, you sort of gain some wisdom and knowledge as, as you get older, but you start to lose the youth. So I'm almost, I'll be 40 in four years. <laughs> Hindsight's 2020. Do tell me about the record, because, I mean, you said you might be playing runs sometime soon, and you were talking about ways you were thinking of releasing the record. Mm -hmm. But just tell me a little bit about what it is, when we can look forward to it, and what it's called, that kind of thing. Just tell me about it. Okay. It's going to be called This Machine Kills Americana is the name of the album. It's 14 songs. Some of it was recorded in Buell in my cabinet shop. Some of it was recorded in Water Valley, Mississippi, and some of it was recorded in Birmingham. You know, the Dextines, we have our own little imprint label. It's called Cornelius Chapel. That's always an option to release it on that. We have some other people that talk about releasing it, don't really know exactly what we're going to do yet. Uh, we just finished it a few weeks ago. We just mixed it a few weeks ago. We still need to sequence the album and just decide the order of things and some, st- some stuff like that. But uh, 90% done. It's sort of all over the place. Like, it's got definite Dexatines, you know, blow the roof off the house, rockers. And then it's got some, some real neat, sort of flavors throughout i feel like it's sort of a widespread of songs it's all over the place it's probably our longest album i don't know man i think it's i think it's really exceptional you had mentioned that as one of the best things that you think you had done as a band i mean is this i know it's probably hard to just look back and rank or anything i'm not asking you to do that but i mean is this something that you would say is what you're most proud of i guess dexatines have done so far yeah yeah it really is i mean i'm just confident in it I've never really felt this way about something that we finished before. I think I've just sort of been a little bit ambivalent with projects that we finished in the past about how I felt one way or the other. But I really feel like this was a valiant effort that sort of we made made the right decisions. And uh, we did it ourselves. You know, we didn't hire a producer, although we did get help. from. We made a friend named Bronson, too. He engineered the second half of it. And he sort of definitely ended up being a producer in a lot of sense of the ways, you know, because he really identified what the band was doing, but he wasn't a band member. Everything you want a producer to do, just real honest, full ideas, really good behind the board with sounds and stuff like that. We've got a song that uh, I am actually excited. I would actually like to know what people from Tuscaloosa are going to think about this one song. It's uh, it's about Jimmy Johns, the football player mm-hmm. that recently got released from the penitentiary. It's called Jimmy Johns. <laughs> What would a song like that be about? It would be about a football player selling uh-huh. cocaine and uh-huh. ecstasy and breeding pit bulls and getting, <laughs> going to jail, you know? Right. So um, I think that's something that people would be interested in hearing yeah. around here anyway. People have opinions about Jimmy John's. Yeah. You know? I mean, the real moral of the story of, of that song uh-huh. is, or not the moral, but I guess the, what it's really about is that he really disappointed his mother and he broke her heart. In the bridge of the song, she's praying, like, just let this guy, let my boy come back. <laughs> And let him be a better man. And so, lo and behold, he's out of the penitentiary, and he's, you know, he's saying he wants to go and contribute to society and keep young fellows from doing what he's done. So, Did you guys know him? Mm-mm. No? In any case, no. <laughs> that just gives you an idea. The, the content of the lyric, like, uh, the content of the music is sort of all over the place. You know, a lot of it is of spiritual nature. I've sort of tried to 
dabble in, in that stuff with the Dex teens, but I've been afraid to like dive into it feet first, and um, I quit being afraid of that this time. So there's a lot of things we did differently. Did you write all of these songs? Mm-hmm. You yourself? How does that work with this album in particular? I mean, do you write all the lyrics and the music? I write the lyrics and the music, but the band brings it together. Yeah. Like, that's still not a song. Lyrics and the music, that's still not right. a song. You've got parts and an arrangement. I don't know. A lot of times if you study too long on a certain song, you can sort of take away from it the very thing that made it great. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one thing that songwriters are guilty of doing. Mm-hmm. So the band members, they complete the music. In a lot of ways, I think they sort of give it its identity. A lot of times, the band members know the identity of the song better than the songwriter, if that makes any sense at all. Because they hear it with clean ears, you know, they, the whole expression about you can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Has the band always been receptive in terms of, like, your songwriting? Obviously, you've been around for a while, and, you know, you all enjoy what you're doing. But in, in terms of, like, making a record... When you get done writing songs, are they involved in the process from the get-go, or do you write, present it to them, and let them react? Yeah. And how, how does that usually go down? Yeah, you typically bring it to them, and this is kind of the idea I've got, mm-hmm. and then it's just out in the air. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people stare at you with this blank stare, and you know it's time to go on to the next thing. Or A lot of times the things that people get excited about are small things that you thought were inconsequential, you know. So. And this was a generally pretty positive experience this time? Yeah. Well, we recorded a lot of songs, and we, I mean, like, we seriously kept the ones that we felt like were just 100%. So I think it's our most solid effort. You know, usually when you record an album, you may record 15 songs and keep 12 or whatever. So we recorded about 30-something, and we kept 14. And I think there's still a lot of good songs, you know, like, there's definitely an EP in there, you know, another five to seven songs that we'll do something with. But these were all, all recorded by the same staff. And they all sort of have the same tones and the same vibe, you know. Remind me when we can expect it? Yeah, I don't know. No ETA on it? Mm-mm. Okay. Now, I guess, is the time that bands would shop the material to labels. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, we literally just got back a week and a half ago with it. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. So the next step is just figuring that out. Yeah, the next step is sending it to some people that say that they may be interested in doing something with it. What about folks who have released your stuff before? Do you go back to those wells? No? Mm-mm. Starting fresh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dave from Estrus is still one of our close friends, and he'll support us and do things with us that he can. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he's not still putting out records anymore. And Travis at Skybucket, we've done that twice. He's still a close friend. We don't have any bad blood with anybody. It's just we've been doing this long enough. We can either do it ourselves Mm -hmm. or give it to somebody that's got a little more experience and know-how and money. Okay. I'm good if you're good. Are you good? Mm -hmm. Elliot McPherson, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Real tight.